you would, go ahead and take out your Bibles with me. Let's open them up to the book of Romans. The book of Romans, chapter 8. As we continue working our way verse by verse through this wonderful letter of the New Testament. This morning I would like to draw our attention to the 12th verse of Romans 8. Romans 8, verse 12. We're beginning a new paragraph. And it's a very helpful one. One that we will probably spend quite a bit of time on. Because it is vital to our Christian lives. So let's read together Romans 8. This morning we're just going to read this first verse of the paragraph, verse 12. And here is what we read. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. Now we all know what it is to be in debt. I dare say that most of us, if not all of us, have had the experience at some point in our lives of being a debtor to someone else. Uh, Most of us, like most of America, uh, owes someone or some business a certain amount of money. So we know what it is to be in debt. Here in this verse, Paul tells us that we who are Christians are debtors. We are in debt. But who is Paul saying that we are in debt to? To whom do we owe something? Paul doesn't tell us explicitly. In fact, rather than saying explicitly who we do owe something to, he goes the opposite direction. He tells us explicitly who we do not owe something to. And yet, nevertheless, Paul is saying that we are debtors to someone if we're Christians. So to whom are we debtors? That's the question this morning. To whom do we as Christians owe a debt? What I want to do is lead us to consider three clues from verse 12 as to what Paul means when he says that we are debtors. And then we will draw our conclusion about who it is that we are in debt to. So put on your Sherlock Holmes caps this morning. We're going to observe our three clues from the verse, and then we're going to deduce our conclusion to the question, to whom do we as Christians owe a debt? So clue number one, clue number one is the word brothers. Does everybody see that in verse 12? The word brothers. Uh, This tells us that Paul is speaking here specifically to Christians, to those who are his brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, This letter was written to the church in Rome, to believers. Uh, And to make sure that we don't misuse this verse, Paul goes out of his way to now address the church specifically as uh, Adelphoi, brothers, brothers and sisters, So what he is saying in verse 12 is something that is true for Christians. It is not something that is true for non-Christians. When Paul says that we are debtors, he is speaking of a debt that is peculiar 
to Christians. That is, there is something that has been done for believers that has not been done for unbelievers. This debt is a distinctively Christian debt. Brothers, so that's clue number one. Clue number two. Do you see the words, so then, at the beginning of the verse? Those two words, so then, they might be a little bit different in your translation, but they function like the word, therefore. They tell us that Paul is drawing a conclusion from what he has just said. Paul is taking all that he has just spoken about in the last several verses, and he's saying, this, 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 so then, verse 12. So he is drawing the conclusion that Christians are debtors from what he has just said. All right, so what did Paul just say? Well, if you'll remember, Paul just said two great things. First in verse 10, Paul told us that even though these old bodies of ours are still dead to God, our souls as Christians have been made new. Our souls have been made alive. Do you see how he says it in verse 10? But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. And we saw that that is probably a reference not to the Holy Spirit, but to the human spirit that has been made alive by the Holy Spirit. That we as Christians have souls that have been made alive. We were dead in our sins and our trespasses, but God, by the Spirit, through the gospel, has made our souls alive. And then in verse 11, Paul added a second great thing. Namely, that the same Spirit who made our souls alive is also going to make these old bodies of ours gloriously alive at the resurrection. That is, there's a day when these bodies, which are still dead to God, are going to be made alive to God. Look again, verse 11. We saw it last Sunday morning. Let's hear Paul say it again. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So verse 10, the Spirit has given new life to your soul. And verse 11, there's going to come a day when the Spirit's going to make your body gloriously, perfectly alive. Now that's a huge clue as to who we owe a debt to, isn't it? But before we jump to our conclusion, let's be sure that we're on the right track. Let's notice our third clue Our third clue is the end of the verse. The end of verse 12, namely, that we do not owe a debt to the flesh. Paul says, you do not owe a debt to your flesh. You owe your flesh nothing. And he emphasizes this. He says, yes, you're in debt, but do not make a mistake here. It is not your flesh that you owe anything to. So don't live that way. Just as a reminder, when we speak of the flesh, we are speaking of that part of the Christian which is still earthly, connected to the body and its desires. 
The flesh is sometimes referred to as the old man or the old nature. It is that part of you that has not yet been sanctified, that part of you not yet made clean. Your flesh is that part of you that seeks to pull you away from God. If you're here and you're a non-Christian, you're all flesh. You're living in the flesh. But if you're here and you're a Christian, then you've been made new. But you still have this enemy, the flesh, in your life. Paul says, friends, you owe nothing to the flesh. You do not owe the flesh any gratitude, any allegiance. What has your flesh ever done for you that you would feel the need to say thank you? The only thing your flesh has ever done for you is lead you into trouble. The flesh pulls you into the opposite direction from which you are trying to walk as a Christian. You are called to see your flesh as your enemy. Now, I'm not saying you're to hate your body. You are to hate the desires of your body and all of those desires within you that war against godliness, that war against purity, that war against holiness and faithfulness and right living. That part of you that works against the Spirit, that resists the Spirit, that opposes the Spirit, that lives for sin, you're to hate that part of you. It is your enemy. The flesh is your enemy. What has Paul been telling us recently, even in the book of Romans, about the flesh? Romans 7, 18, I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. Surely, Paul, there is something good about the flesh. Surely there's some redeemable aspect of the flesh. Paul says, no, there is nothing good that dwells in me that is in my flesh. Nothing good about the flesh. Romans 8, 6, to set the mind on the flesh is death. Romans 8, 8, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Cannot please God. And then look at where Paul was going. Look at what he says in the very next verse. Verse 13. He says, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. So we owe nothing to the flesh in terms of love, in terms of gratitude or allegiance or a compassion, you are to be against your flesh the way you would be against the devil or the world. In Ephesians 2, Paul mentions the three great enemies of the Christian. We used to be, before we were saved, and if you're here and you're an unbeliever, you're still fully under the sway of these three enemies. He says, we were dead in our sins and trespasses. What does that mean, Paul? It means you were once following the course of the world. That's enemy number one. He says, you were once following the course of the prince of the power of the air. That's enemy number two, the devil. We hate the world. We hate the devil. And then Paul says, we were living in the passions of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh. And that's the third enemy. And just as we would never make peace with the devil, and just as we would never make peace with worldliness, we are to never make peace with our flesh. Mount Hermon, when you deny your flesh and it cries out in pain, 
don't show mercy. When you deny your flesh some craving it has, and you feel its shrieks within you, because the flesh does not like to be denied, don't you suddenly decide to have compassion and to let up? Paul says we are to kill that part of us. This is what the Holy Spirit is doing in your life if you're a Christian. The Holy Spirit is destroying your flesh, making you holy. You join with the Spirit in killing that part of you that is against God and against goodness. You owe no love, no compassion, no gratitude to the flesh. You owe nothing to your flesh in terms of duty either. Now you should care for your body as a physical entity. Your body is to be treated with dignity. You were created in the image of God. But as far as those desires of the body or the mind that are sinful, you must not satisfy them. No matter how much they make you feel like, you owe it to them to be satisfied. You see, your flesh is like a child. The child is in the grocery store with mom. And the child sees some toy or some piece of candy that he wants. And he, and he grabs it and he shows it to mom. And he says, Mom, please let me have this. Please, oh please, oh, oh please. And mom looks at it and says, no. And the child doesn't want to hear no. This disobedient child, rebellious child. So objections are made. You never let me get what I want. I'm so hungry. This is what I always wanted. And suddenly the child is crossing his arms. And suddenly the child is stomping around. Maybe even throwing a temper tantrum right there in the store. And suddenly mom feels the pressure. Who's watching? I mean, it is just a little thing. And she knows that if she gives it to the child, the child will be satisfied. The child will hush. No more temper tantrum. He'll he'll be at peace if she just gives in. And that's exactly how your flesh works on you. It has its desires. Typically it starts off quite subtle. Not always. Sometimes the desires of the flesh come upon you like a freight train. The temptation, you weren't expecting the temptation and it comes out of nowhere and it takes you by surprise and it's, it's intense from the beginning, but that's, that's not the normal way. The normal way, the typical way of the flesh is that the desire starts subtle. And if you were to go ahead and to fulfill that desire right then, it would be satisfied. That's what unbelievers do, right? They live according to the whims of their flesh. Oh, I want to do this, I do it. I don't think about Is it good? Is it wise? Does it please my Lord and Savior? No, unbelievers, I I do what I want to do. And so they don't have this battle with the flesh because the flesh doesn't have to throw a temper tantrum. The flesh is getting what it wants. But we as Christians can't do that. We we can't just give in to the desires of our flesh when they're, well, because they're opposed to God. Remember, sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. If you just give in to your flesh without a fight, it's only going to desire something more, something worse the next time around. And to be at peace with sin is not to be a follower of Christ. Because to be a follower of Christ is to repent, to turn from sin. 
And so we as Christians are in this battle, and so we, we have this evil desire that comes up in our heart, and immediately we say, no. Maybe it's the desire to say something smart to someone, right? They just said something smart to you. You know, right? There's that desire, you just, you just want to say it back. But you're... Your mind's working, your heart's working. It says, no, no flesh, I'm not going to say that. And what does your flesh do? It gets angry. And it begins to throw a temper tantrum inside of your soul. Indeed, sometimes the flesh has a way of really making us feel like we owe it something. It uses ungodly reason to make us feel like we, we ought to say it. Normally saying that would be a sinful thing. If anybody else was to say it, I'd say it was wrong. But right now in this moment, it's got to be right. Right? I owe it to myself to say this sinful thing. The flesh loves to make you feel like you owe it to yourself to do something wrong. I'll give you just a few examples. Think about Jesus. After 40 days in the wilderness without food. Luke 4, you have what sounds like one of the great duh verses of the Bible. Jesus ate nothing for 40 days, and then Luke says this, and when those 40 days were ended, he was hungry. You say, hmm, did it take a doctor to figure that out, Luke? But actually, it was possible that we might think that after 40 days, Jesus' stomach really wasn't hungry anymore. Maybe, maybe his stomach had moved beyond hunger. Maybe it was shutting down. So it's important that Luke tells us this fact, that Jesus, after 40 days without eating, he was experiencing real hunger in his stomach. His, his stomach was growling. He wanted to eat. And here comes the devil. And what's the first temptation the devil brings to our Lord? Come on, Jesus. If you really are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. That was more than just asking Jesus to do a nice little miracle. That was saying, Jesus, you know your flesh really wants to eat right now. You know you're hungry. And so Satan is seeking to use Jesus' body against him. And this is what the flesh does. You you can imagine the thoughts that the flesh would have immediately started bringing to Jesus' mind. Remember, Jesus never sinned, but he had, he was a true human being, experiencing real temptations, even fleshly temptations. And so his mind would have been, been trying to tempt him, saying, oh, you haven't eaten in weeks. You are the Son of God. This would be so easy to do. Certainly your father wouldn't want you to go hungry like this. And on and on, his mind could have gone, his his flesh pulling at him, making him feel that he really should do this thing. Of course, praise the Lord, our our Savior was sinless. He never gave in. He practiced self-denial. He had control over himself. He was able to respond to the devil that, that man lives not on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the Father. So Jesus set the example for us. Another example, have you ever found yourself at night after a long day faced with the temptation to watch something on TV or to read a magazine or a book that you know really isn't going to be helpful or edifying to your soul? As this is something that, that most people would probably say, hey, that's inappropriate for a Christian to, to read or watch. And normally that, that temptation's there, maybe something you just, you just came up on the TV, and, and normally you would have said no. Normally you would have immediately turned the channel, but you're weary because it's been a long day. And your armor is wearing thin. 
Maybe it wasn't a good day. Maybe you've been kind of beaten up by the day. And suddenly your flesh begins to make you feel like you deserve this. Look, it's been a long day. Forget about right and wrong for a while. You've worked hard today. Just sit there, do nothing. Let the show come on and enjoy it. So comfy sitting here. So easy just to watch. You see, this kind of talk happens very subtly in our minds and our hearts, and it's so deceptive. It's so backwards. Really, flesh? I deserve to set before my eyes something that's going to pollute my heart and mind? I deserve to grieve my Heavenly Father? I deserve to look at things that should cause me to mourn and to weep? Knowing that such entertainments even exist ought to cause grief to our souls. But our bodies, controlled by the flesh, have this amazing way of making us forget everything that we know to be true. Making us feel in the moment like evil is good, like foolishness is wise. Sin and the flesh make us temporarily insane when it comes to right and wrong and morality. Sin is blinding. It is deceptive. Consider the temptation to be grumpy when you're tired. It's so easy when we're weary to suddenly make excuses for treating other people in a wicked way. Or to be lazy when you're tired. Guys, you ever come home after a hard day of work and you, you finally sit down in the chair and you think, oh. And then you see your wife coming up to the door and she's got the groceries in her hand. And you know you, you need to get up. You need to get up. You need to go, go help her bring the groceries in the door. And there's this little thing. Maybe you don't give in. Maybe you do. But the talk is there in your mind. I just got home. I've worked all day. I deserve to sit here. I deserve it. This is why Paul was being, is emphasizing this. You owe the flesh nothing. No debt to the flesh. So here are our three clues. Paul is speaking of a debt peculiar to Christians because he calls them brothers. He is speaking of a debt that we owe Because the Spirit of God has made us alive in our souls and is going to make us alive in our bodies. And third, he says, this is not a debt that you owe to your flesh. So it seems to me, you put on your Sherlock Holmes caps and see if you agree, that we can deduce from those three clues that when Paul says we are debtors, he is talking about the fact that we as Christians are in debt to the Holy Spirit of God. Not the flesh but the Spirit. So that everything that the flesh makes us feel like we owe it, allegiance, love, compassion, no, we owe those things to the Spirit. What has the Spirit of God ever done for us? Let's just name a few things. It was the Spirit of God who stirred someone up to bring the gospel to you. If you read it in a book, the Spirit stirred somebody up to write that gospel in a book. If you heard it preached from a pulpit, the Spirit worked in somebody's life to get them there on that day preaching the gospel to you. If a friend shared it with you in a, uh, sitting across a lunch table, it was the Spirit at work in that friend. The Spirit stirred somebody up to bring the gospel to you. Then it was the Spirit who caused the gospel 
to be heard by you. That is, your eyes were open, your ears were open, so it didn't just bounce off of you like a pebble off of cement, right? The Spirit worked so that your heart was ready to receive it. It was the Spirit that brought true conviction to your life, convicted you of your sins. It was the Spirit that gave you a new heart, one that would believe, one that would love God. It was the Spirit that drew you to Christ, to salvation, to heaven, to God Himself. It is the Spirit who has given you the Word. It is the Spirit who has given you the church and is working through the Word, through God's people, through prayer, through trials. It is the Spirit who is working to fit you for heaven, to bring you to God so that on the last day you will be spotless before Him. Church, we owe a debt, all right. We owe a debt to the Spirit of God. And of course, the Spirit of God is the Spirit of Christ. So we owe a debt to Christ. And we call the Spirit the Spirit of God because He's the Spirit of the Father. This is a Trinitarian debt. We owe a glorious debt to Father, to Son, to Spirit. So now let's ask this question. If it is God that we owe this debt to, what do we do with this debt? And we need to be very careful here. What do we do with this debt that we owe to God for our salvation? I want to make a very strong assertion. You see if you agree. I think we should never, ever, ever, ever try and pay it back. Never. Why? Number one, you can never pay it back. You could never do enough good things in this life to make up for the great grace that God has shown to you. In fact, as we've already learned from Romans, you can do nothing good unless God, in His grace, by His Spirit, causes you to do good, which means every time you do a good thing to pay Him back, you're actually increasing your debts. For none does good apart from Him. Second, if you try and pay back God, you distort grace. The great thing about salvation is it is all of grace. It is not to be earned. It is a gift to be received. The moment you start trying to pay God back for your salvation by doing good works, by doing things out of the spirit of I gotta gotta make things right with me and God, I gotta pay Him back for this debt, you start distorting grace. Third, to try and pay back God is to dishonor God because He is glorified in His grace. To try and and rob God of His grace is to rob God of His glory. It is the glory of God to look on the helpless and to help them. Okay? So if we're not supposed to pay God back, what do we do with this debt? We are to embrace it. And we are to live in it. We are to live as a people who know each and every moment that we are dependent upon God. Every single second we live is a second in which our debt to God grows. Every moment of grace, every truly good thought, truly good word, truly good deed that we do, our debt to God is growing. Even in paradise, as eternal day passes into the next eternal day, our debt to God will be growing, growing and growing forever. And this means that every day we're seeing more and more of just how great the glory of God's mercy really is. 
We see just how good he has been to us and is being and will forever be. Dear Christians, this is a kind of debt that we should love. Don't go Dave Ramsey on this debt. Okay? This is the one kind of debt you are to embrace and live in. You find your assurance here. I am a sinner. There's no way I could ever pay God back for this. But he has loved me and he has blessed me and he is blessing me forever and ever and I will forever be in his debt. I will forever be living as a recipient of his undeserved mercy. And so we respond with gratitude. We respond with praise and with worship. We respond by living a life worthy of this God. We don't repay Him. If we try and repay Him, we're just increasing our debt by the good things we do. No, we we live a godly life as an act of worship, as an act of thanksgiving, as an act of joy in being a recipient of His grace. We want to be able to say to the world, it is God who is making me this way. I used to be a rotten sinner. And you know what? I still am, but I'm improving a little bit. And you know how? By the grace of God within me. You know the person I used to be back in high school? You see the person I am now and you say, what in the world is the difference? Let me tell you what the difference is. It's God. I have been a recipient of His grace through Jesus Christ. Look at the next verse, verse 13. We'll look at it next week, but just read it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Justin, how do we respond to this great debt that we're in? By joining with the Spirit in continuing the work that God is doing in you. God is already making you holy. God is already sculpting you into the image of Christ. He's using good times and hard times. He's using trials and tribulations. He's using the Word. He's using prayer. He's using the church. He's using all these things to make you like Jesus. And He's doing it through the Holy Spirit. And now you have a choice. You can either resist the Spirit. You can fight against God's sanctifying work in your life. Or you can join with the Spirit. And Paul says... Verse 12, you are in debt, not to the flesh, but to the Spirit. Verse 13, join with the Spirit in what He's doing in your life. Cooperate with the Spirit. Let the the Spirit's mission in you to make you like Jesus become your mission for you. So that in your being a husband or wife, in your parenting, in your work relationships, in your sports, in your whatever you do, every calling God has placed on your life, you suddenly have this mission. I'm going to pursue godliness in every one of these callings. I'm going to join with the Spirit in seeking to be like Jesus in all of these callings that God has given to me. So dear Christian, you owe nothing to the flesh, nothing except to hate it and to resist it and to kill it but you owe everything to the Spirit. So join the Spirit in killing sin, pursuing holiness, and preparing yourself for the day when you will stand before your bridegroom, spotless and blameless, ready to enter the new heavens and the new earth and to dwell with your God forever and ever. Resist the flesh. Walk with the Spirit. And do this in the joy of your salvation. Amen? Amen. May God make it so. Let's pray. Let's take a few moments just to think about what we've heard. 
and to respond quietly in our hearts to God. If you're here and you're an unbeliever, you don't know this battle with the flesh because you're already living in the flesh. You just give in to your whims. You've been living your own life, your own way for a long time. Dear friend, I would call on you to turn from your sins and to trust Jesus. He is a good Savior. He's done everything necessary to make you right with God. You must believe. Just believe. Just receive the gift and entrust yourself to Christ. And then show it by being baptized and becoming a part of a healthy church and following hard after Him. Christians in this room, you think about what's been said. Are you living as a person who is a recipient of great grace? Do you know your debt? Do you love your debt to God? And in the joy of your salvation, are you joining with the Spirit in pursuing holiness? Take a few moments, respond to God, and then we're going to sing quietly. We'll join together to sing again. Uh, We fall down. Let's pray quietly.